episode of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I am joined by my colleague, my co-host, Brian Fisher. Uh, Brian, how, uh, this, this, this is March. This is, this, is, this is the beginning of a bunch of crazy, crazy basketball days, a bunch of crazy sports stuff, and, uh, and it has lived up to the billing, hasn't it? Oh, it absolutely has. I mean, and we, we're, we're taping here on Thursday and uh, a couple hours ago. I mean, literally within the span of, of like an hour, you know, Texas blew a 20 point lead. Michigan blew a 17 point lead. I'm sure you're thrilled about to see that one. Uh, you know, and there was there was a 16 point lead blown as well. So uh, by, by Texas A&M against Florida. So just wild conference tourneys. And, and we're really only kind of getting started because, you know, really it kind of picks up this weekend. And uh, the, the the finishes have been fast and furious. It's been fun. It's been good to get back to a bit of normalcy. Uh, the crowds have been rocking. You know, a lot of these stadiums. So uh, March, March is definitely here. It's been, you, you, not, not only have we seen like, what, yeah, four or five big 15 point plus digit uh, you know, leads being blown. We had a guy punch somebody else in the stomach. We had a out and out capital F fight with the NEC uh, where the, I think the game was delayed for a little while. People left the court. Uh, one of the students, I want to say at Bryant has been arrested um, and, you know, that that led to you know the, the, a conference investigation. Uh, we've had uh, a, a walk off layup. I, I think I think just today we yeah. had uh, a couple of bubbles burst. It's been it's been nuts. Uh, it's been a minute since I remember a really a big fight in a, in a conference championship game. Crowd stuff. There's there's something weird that happens all the time. You're in small gyms. And maybe you're, you're, the event management staff's not used to having that kind of crowd. And then people can get, you know, you get a couple of kids and some alcohol and things get stupid. But this has been an unusually weird thing. Maybe we're all out of practice after having completely packed gyms, right? I, I do feel like that is the case. I feel like, you know, fan incidents have been up, you know, and there has been a rise in them. These yeah. the last in, in the pro sports, too. Like, this isn't just a college basketball thing. Grown, grown ass men feel uh, like they're able to say things to NBA players that they shouldn't be. I mean, I know it's a particular issue. You know, you're starting to see it uh, not just in, in football and some of the NFL incidents uh, the last couple of uh, months, but, um, you know, over and over across the pond in, in soccer. I know it's been a pretty big topic of debate, um, you know, the, these last couple of months, just some of the fan incidents, obviously, uh, you know, they, they've, they've gotten a little bit crazy across the pond in terms of some of the flares and all that that, that they set off. But uh, just in terms of things happening in the stands, yeah, it, it, I think it's just everybody's kind of out of practice a little bit. Um, certainly you have some of the inexperience of kind of coming back into venues for the first time and, in a long time in, in, in certain cases. And, you know, let's face it, uh, you know, when you do have a little bit of lubricant uh, there for, for some fans, you know, it, it can be uh, uh, not all that hard to kind of push over from a small minor incident into a bigger one. And I think we've seen a few test cases of that. But, um, you know, I, I think kind of flipping it around, it, it is cool, though, you know, to see the the home gym thing happen, I know a lot of the conferences in the Northeast, especially, do have that. There are the play quarterfinals or semifinals, and you know, on campus before going to a neutral site. Some com conferences, tournaments are are kind of um, you kind of all over the map in terms of where they're at. They're they're not all just at MSG or at Barclays or uh, some of these big time uh, arenas. It is cool to get the smaller tournaments on the campus sites because that, that really does kind of lend itself not just to showcasing the school, but um, you know, with the atmosphere, it's just so much better there. It, it's fun to be in a place that's loud and you can be very loud if you only have 3,000 people in the room. If that room only seats 3,000 people, you can go into MSG. Like I've covered Big Ten tournaments. I've covered uh, 
uh, I've been to, to other other major conference tournament games where you're playing in an NBA arena, and as of the early rounds of that tournament, maybe you're, you're tipping off at noon, it's still only half full, a third full, and they can yell. But eight thousand people in a sixteen thousand person arena carries different than a completely packed Patriot League gym. It is cool, especially when the majority of those people are students. Um, we actually just did a Collegiate Sports Connect interview. I'll drop that in the show notes whenever we publish those show notes um, with uh, some consultants at, at, at Biggest Fans, some folks that used to be at Grand Canyon that are now trying to help other schools do this. I think, I think we've seen a couple of examples of schools that did not previously have robust student section traditions that are starting to develop them, like North Texas. Uh, who is now also pretty good at basketball. And so hopefully you see that at the tournament, which is pretty cool. Um, one place where I think we've had a, a big tournament story that wasn't about fans being crazy uh, or anything that anybody on the court or really did was with the A-Sun, which is generally not a lead story in this part of, of college basketball season. Um, in case you have missed it, or in case you missed maybe what we talked about with extra points earlier this week, uh, do you remember who won the ASUN tournament this year? That would be Bellarmine. The Beller, yeah, Bellarmine Knights. And they were not the top seed uh, in the ASUN. This was, this was a good year for ASUN basketball. I feel like you had uh, like four different teams that were really quite good, I think, for, for mid or low majors. You had Jacksonville State, uh, soon to be a member of Conference USA, who was the number one overall seed. You had Liberty, soon to join Conference USA, who uh, a perennially very strong program, had a great year. You had the Jacksonville Dolphins who I don't, I mean, was the last time they were good when they had, uh, what, Artis Gilmore? Um, they, they are, they, they, they won 20 games. Like, you know, they, they were near the top here. Then you had Billerman. And, and, and if you don't, aren't unfamiliar with the school and uh, don't feel bad if you, if you, that includes you, that includes me. Uh, part of the reason I knew about these guys is because I got bought by a company in Louisville and that's where they're located. But they were a, really a very high level division two program for a while reclassified to division one this is correct me if i'm wrong here just their second season of division one play and they go out and they win the tournament it's not like they sucked you know they, they were they were i think a two seed or like a two seed on the other side of the bracket they, they were a good team this year they go out and they win the whole thing so normally that means you make the ncaa tournament but they're not allowed to and it isn't because they had apr problems or because they were breaking recruit laws or, or doing anything nefarious, there's an NCAA rule that states that you can't play in the NCAA tournament for four years while you reclassify from Division II. And some 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 leagues say, okay, you can't play in the conference tournaments either because we want to avoid this exact kind of situation. The ASUN, in my opinion, to their credit, I've, I've talked to their commissioner, Ted Gumbart, about this. They are, I, I think, radically... Uh, pro athlete participation. So if you leave the league, like a bunch of these schools are doing, you can still win. You can still play in the tournament, still take the bid. If you're reclassifying from division two, you can still play. And it's not, you know, if I think it was up to 10, Bill would be playing it in the NCAA tournament right now too. Uh, it's, it's, that's a, that's an NCAA rule. Oftentimes when you reclassify from division two to division one, this is a moot point because historically you sucked. And, and that's not a, to be pejorative. It's, it's a really big jump to go from Division two to Division one. But I, I think it's interesting, Brian, that this isn't totally an anomaly in, in major sports. Merrimack was, I think, two years ago, won the regular season title in the NEC their first year. <laughs> they couldn't even play in the tournament. They would have been the favorite, I think, to make to, to win, the, win the thing then. Cal Baptist 
this was, I think this was a year or two ago, their women's basketball team like ran through the whack, went undefeated, had to play in like the women's CBI or whatever the equivalent of that was, despite having going like 28 and one. The Cal Baptist won the whack baseball, I, I want to say, in their first or second year. So we're, we're seeing this more and more. Um, and next year, man, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Southern Indiana is in this conversation. Like, I don't want to say they're going to win the OVC next year, but I, I think they could be in the top three. So what, what should be done about this? I mean, I, I wrote about why this rule exists, but I haven't had a chance to talk with you about it. What, what would you do? Well, I, I would scrap the rule completely if, if it were just up to me. Obviously, the, the histor- history behind why this this was kind of instituted is is understandable. You can kind of get that, but it's just a different era nowadays. I think you know it is it's so much about the student athletes right now, and and this is kind of seems like an anti student athlete uh, rule. You know, if you're winning on the court, you know why shouldn't you have access to the the overall championship? And I think that that's kind of where I come from. I know it's um, you know it is understandable. I think that transition period is there, and and I think everybody. Everybody can understand it because, like you're saying, a lot of teams just come up and they're, and they're bad. We we were when we were talking with uh, the Lindenwood AD a couple couple weeks ago in terms of uh, making yeah. that jump. You know, it, it was a depth issue. But in sports like basketball and in, in tournament settings, like uh, we're, we're seeing this week, I mean, they, crazy things can happen. I, you know, I, I, if you go on a run, I, I think you should be able to be invited to the big dance. And um, you know, it, it's it stinks too for 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 Bellarmine too because uh, you know they're not even eligible to go to the NIT. You know, you would have thought if if you you know at least if you had a, had a good year, maybe you have that as a, as a backstop. But you know, I actually looked up, uh, had somebody send me like the NIT selection procedures. It's it's in there. It's like transitioning teams are not you know not eligible. For for the NIT, which NCAA runs that too. So it's, it's the same bylaw. You got to go slum it in the basketball classic or whatever we're calling into the other teams. Now I, I, I got, I got yelled at, not yelled at, but um, rightfully chastised on Twitter for forgetting the CIT no longer exists. Y'all know what I mean, right? One, one of the other postseason events that's run by some like Bitcoin exchange or whatever, not, you can't do the NIT either. And, and we've seen this not just in basketball, but we, we've seen it in football with a lot of teams moving up, which is even harder given given the scholarship differences um, from the FCS to the FBS. But a lot of especially the Sunbelt teams, uh, you know, that have had success as they've made that jump, you know, obviously historical powerhouses, you know, at the FCS level. You've seen App State, you've seen Coastal. They've made the jump and be successful fairly early on to where they could get to that six and six mark uh, to, to get to a bowl game, which not not doing a whole lot in terms of football. But, uh, you know, for, for those athletes that you know do do pass that 500 mark and, and not to be able to go to a bowl game, it does kind of kind of stink for them. But um, you know, a little bit more understandable, I think, from from the football aspect because uh, it, it is you're you're talking about double digit number of scholarships transitioning from that. We I was talking with somebody from from JMU about uh, just making that jump and how they kind of phase things in. And um, yeah, you know, you, you understand there there's a bit of a runway, right? That, that you kind of have to fill. But you know, in basketball, you know, it, it, there's there's not that much of a, a difference between uh, some of those upper end D two teams and you know if you, you get hot at the right time and that. That basketball hoop, it, it's it's the same at all levels, right? At, and it's the same at all classifications. So um, it, it definitely stinks for Bellarmine. And, and to, to your point earlier, you know, about Louisville, like that, that city has really kind of adopted this team kind of as their second team, especially as the Cardinals have gone through so many struggles uh, this, this year with. <laughs> you want a, a less problematic second favorite team where you can get a more affordable ticket? Do we have a team for you? Yeah. 
but I, I mean, like they, they, they've really adopted, like they've, they've gotten around, around them and rallied it for, you know, this, this program that, uh, you know, a lot of the folks in, in that city probably don't have much of a connection to. Certainly you have, uh, you know, a lot of Louisville alums that uh, you say, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get behind this team that's actually doing pretty well on the court. And uh, that, that's been kind of fun to see and follow along. But at the same time, you, you just wish those athletes had that opportunity to keep, keep their season going. And, you know, I, I think we're, we're going to be doing some more stuff on, on Collegiate Sports Connect with the school itself, because I think it's an interesting story in terms of how do they capitalize on this? How do, how do they make sure they're selling tickets? How do they make sure their, their marketing plans uh, going forward are can, can capitalize on this? Because, um, you know, we, we talked about the fluidity effect in, in the last podcast. This is almost kind of the, uh, a different kind of effect, you know, just because there is so much interest in the school and so much awareness in the school, but it's for, for not playing in the tournament. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they kind of turn that and, and use that uh, to their advantage. That's a good point. It's a good point because I don't know if we, exactly have a similar like a, a, a great comparison to a school um getting almost ncaa tournament level notoriety without a problematic scandal yeah. <laughs> if everybody's talking about you and it's not because you just upset a three seed it's because something terrible has happened when and that that hasn't been the case here i i, I completely understand why everybody and their brother on the internet and I, I don't think this is this is this is mock outrage or anything. It's like this feels really undemocratic. It, it flies against the idea of college sports being some kind of meritocracy. They're being punished for a decision that they had nothing to do with. And and you know we talked a lot. And, and so I certainly wrote about how I thought that was unfair in the case of UIC and Stony Brook and some of these other schools, right? Which I, I think those are similar, although not entirely analogous decisions. The Here's where I'm coming from, and maybe I'm wrong about this. Like I could, I could be, you know, falling in this in this rabbit hole. You want to create a rule that is the, as mo, as most pro athlete as you possibly can, and moving from Division two to Division one is a very significant because of the way the the bylaws are set up right now. Very significant administrative change. You are absolutely right, and I've written this too. If you're a good Division two basketball team. You can you can whip a lot of D one teams' ass. Like you're recruiting the, really the same caliber of guys, um, it, especially when you're looking at some of these low majors. It's just a question of depth and a question of, of scholarships, right? You bring in like um, trying to think of like a really good Division two basketball team, like West Liberty. Uh, yeah, they they would they would go over five hundred. They would they, they might win some low major leagues. Like they're very good. Nova Southeastern's really good. Augustana's really good. Um, however. It's one thing to build a Division II basketball team or women's basketball team or one or two sports that can immediately compete at the D1 level. If you drag your your 18 other sports to Division I when you haven't done the infrastructure to support them, the facilities to support them, the staffing for support them, because you're trying to help your men's basketball team, that might be better for the men's basketball players. I, can, I understand the argument that that could be a worse experience for the rest of your athletic department. They could really screw your soccer team or some uh, or your volleyball team or your baseball team or those, or those other things. And we have we have a big department to think about. I, I honest to God, really do believe that if you, there were no guardrails, if all, the only thing that you needed was a, a Division One conference to sponsor you and that there wasn't a major penalty for to go back to drop back after two or three years, that. There would be a lot of Division II teams that are not ready to make this jump if they felt like they had a good team would do it. And if you're the NEC and you're like, look, we, we got to boost RPI or our net the best way we possibly can. Let's take a run at this for three years. They'd have a shot. And if we're living in a world where we had promotion and relegation and college sports was set up like like um, La Liga or something or the EPL, that's fine. 
right? Because, you know, Real Madrid doesn't care about what happens to their basketball team when they're making changes to the to what's happening with soccer. That's not the world that we live in. So I, and there was, the NCAA, I saw, sent out this memo uh, earlier this week. My hope here is that as everybody sits down to reevaluate the transformation committee, and we re-examine these core assumptions about what it means to be a Division One program, what it means to be a Division One conference, uh, what your championship access looks like for those. I, my hope is that as we make a bunch of these other changes, then we also reevaluate this. Because like, I don't think it should be a stone tablet coming down from the mountains that says you must wait four years or three years or two years. Um, I, but I do think if everything's structured the way that it is right now, if you don't have some kind of like restrictor plate, other people are going to make some very stupid decisions like Florida A&M's ill-fated uh, jump to FBS uh, or, or um, Birmingham Southern's you know, d- d- cup of coffee at the Division One level. I'm like, they're a really good baseball team and everything else was a dumpster fire. And, and, and that process, I don't think, served their whole athletic department uh, to the best possible experience. So like, that's what they're trying to, to stop here. But I mean, who wants to be the guy defending Indianapolis on the Internet? That's a that's a pretty lousy gig, you know. It's not it's not I certainly defending the, the folks in Indianapolis. But look, you know, this discussion yeah. has been ongoing really for the last couple of years. I mean, there has been you know certainly some ex, you know larger talk about you know, shortening the time period that this transition period undergoes just because of like things that you've been mentioning, like schools are more prepared to make that leap. Now they've, they've got consultants. They know uh, from a facility standpoint, they know from a scholarship standpoint, so many schools have done it now. There, there is kind of that game plan there, that the handbook that they can go back to. There and is a literal industry to walk you through this. Exactly. So it's much easier now to, to make the leap than it was when this rule was initially created. Right. And, and yeah, I think there are certainly some, some competitive concerns about, um, you know, teams coming up and just kind of filling the ranks and, and I, I understand that, but um, really this, this discussion is, is not just this year ago. You, know, you mentioned the other examples and that it's happened to in basketball, but you go back to, to St. Thomas, you know, I think this was a, a debate around when they were making that jump from D three over to D one and all that went into that transition, you know, the, the school yeah. felt that they were ready, but there were some artificial governors on them and, and they were certainly kind of uh, you know, given an exemption to make that direct jump. Usually you have to spend some time in D2 and then make the little jump to D1. I think that is going to kind of go out the window, but um, you know, really we're, we're kind of at a, an interesting moment in NCAA history, just because you know, there is this talk about D1 transformation. You mentioned that memo that got sent out to a a lot of schools that uh, went out last week in terms of, you know, we, we don't know what D1 membership requirements are going to be. We don't know what, uh, what the, the actual division one, if there's not going to be another subdivision, um, you know, within it, we, we've heard a lot of talk about that. uh, The last, couple of months and, and years really even if you want to go back even further um and, and i think it's it's uh, given a little bit of unease to to a lot of folks and you know that's that's why some schools you know as, as we mentioned in that lindenwood uh, ad interview some schools are like jumping and, and making the jump now just so they yeah. know that they can get into the party and and start that transition process now in case things changes and and i think um you know i, I had several several folks uh, you know reach out to me when when we had that one and say yeah you're you're, you're spot on too that there are some schools that do kind of want to know what the landscape is. And I think that's why that memo was, was sent out recently uh, by, by G- uh, Jerry Moorhead, the um, D1 uh, board of uh, one board of directors uh, chair, uh, who's also the university of Georgia president. We have, we have a link to that memo in a previous extra points. I'll also add that in the, in the notes. Um, I have seen some internet speculation after that memo. That's like, Oh, oh crap. Like the big South's going to get kicked out of division one or what's going to happen to these leagues that don't. I honest to God, this is not just total speculation, like from texting around. I don't think that was the point of that memo. The point of that memo is like, hey, West Florida, 
or Stonehill or Mercyhurst or, you know, pick another, one of eight other Division II schools. Think about this when you move forward. It is funny you mentioned uh, St. Thomas. I'm actually speaking to their athletic director. This is this going to publish on Friday uh, later this afternoon. Uh, look for some thoughts about that in a future extra points and or going for two, because that is a great example. Um, I don't know how many St. Thomas's there are in Division Three. I think maybe like one. Uh, besides John Hopkins, who's, who's not going to do this. Um, well, I mean, so, and yeah. A lot of conferences want the, you know, the, the schools that are thinking about jumping to kind of do it now because they, they've got to get their membership up. You yeah, know, they got to figure it out too. So, so I think this is still going to be an active thing as we get through the next couple of months, really into, into kind of the summer um, to where schools are making that, uh, that decision. And I think it's going to come fast and furious with, with a few decisions um, really kind of after we get past the tournament, it seems like things slow down a little bit in college athletics. I know everybody I talk to is, is completely uh, slammed and busy and traveling or whatnot this weekend. And, and I would imagine uh, as things slow down just a little bit and, and we can kind of reassess, um, I would imagine there are going to be more decisions that we're going to see about making that jump into D1. That's a great point. Uh, it's a great point because you and I have also frantically tried to get other people on the phone or on camera uh, this week, like a bunch of idiots realizing that everyone <laughs> is watching basketball right now or uh, traveling to basketball and moving around. And these conference tournaments are a great opportunity for ADs to talk to each other, for conference leaders to talk to school leaders, to you know, to take somebody aside in, in a room in the press box or, or in a hotel ballroom or something and, and have some of those conversations. But no one's, people don't want to sign stuff right now. You're, you're right. A, a lot of the, the formal things, just like uh, along the travel around major conventions, stuff's happening then, but triggers generally aren't being pulled until people get back to their desks. And, and that might be something to think about unless you're trying to dump some, some news. Um, one news that we don't want to dump, that we want to shout from the rooftops to make sure everybody knows about, is our friends at homefieldapparel.com. That's right, folks. Homefield Apparel makes the most comfortable, most unique, special, officially licensed collegiate apparel, uh, specializing in vintage logos and iconography. Brian, I can see all the way from over there. You're rocking some loot. Look at that. Louisville Cardinals. You got a big old red Kentucky. The Louisville Cardinals is fascinating to me because birds don't have teeth like that. And somehow it doesn't look like a complete abomination from the Book of Revelation. It, it is a, it's a cool logo, to, despite not being anatomically correct. Uh, I'm wearing one of those, too. Uh, Boise State Broncos typically do not wear football helmets. This one does. It's a good Bronco. It's a good oh, shirt. Top seed in the Mountain West Tournament there. With yeah, that, that's right. They, they, uh, they, they won their game today. Um, I'm super, super excited about this week. This is what I've been saving much of my money for. We got UCLA on deck. And everything looks good in in baby blue or is it midnight blue or Hollywood blue, what they call it. Or there's like some kind of very specific term for UCLA shade of blue. I believe is, is uh, what they, you, you, you don't want to get confused with the North Carolina blue. They look very similar, but, but I'm told that like two pixels are different and that makes them very different things. The, the point is you're going to see roses. You're going to see adorable bears. You're going to see some of the best color schemes in all of college athletics. And I'm going to spend a bunch of my money on those shirts to go with some Illinois stuff. Uh, and to go with a couple other things that came through this season of Big New Saturday. Maybe that maybe I'll grab some Gonzaga. Maybe I'll grab some NC State. Um, I don't know. There's the, the, the selection is, is significant. They have almost every single um, FBS program. They're also dropping a couple of cool one-offs. I'm not an Notre Dame fan. Um, I have spent a lot of my career on the internet making fun of Notre Dame. Um, it isn't personal. It's just that Thinking of new jokes is really hard. So if you find one that works, you have to ride it out for five years. But if you want to see a leprechaun in short shorts dunking a basketball, 
you could buy one of those. Uh, I think they're dropping Iowa and Iowa State wrestling shirts. That's not really my thing, but it might be your thing. Um, and uh, a couple other one-offs, I think, from some smaller schools coming out here. So if you haven't bought your stuff yet, and you're, you're in luck because we have a discount code to help you save a little bit of money, use promo code EXTRAPOINTS, all one word, to save 15% off of your first order. In case you didn't hear that, because it looks like my phone went off during this conversation, that is promo code Extra points to save 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. Um, another thing, speaking of finding ways to make money, um, speaking of new and exciting sponsorship agreements, uh, one of the other things that uh, I, I, we both saw kind of come across our desk over the, the last couple of days was a new deal that the Mid-American Conference signed with a company called Genius Sports, where... Um, the Mac would receive money for uh, licensing out their uh, their data, their statistics to a company that, uh, among other things, takes that data and, and, and license it to um, betting partners, casinos and sports books. And as I understand, because I think you know this world better than I do, uh, that data is used to help books set lines and to make sure in real time that maybe games aren't being, that points aren't being shaved or that to, to, to better ensure the integrity uh, of what's actually happening right now. The Mac is the first uh, college anything to actually enter into a deal uh, with, with, with any of these companies, right? Uh, yes, the, as a conference, the, the NCAA certainly has their own separate deal uh, for, for data. And look, a lot of this is designed to kind of for, for two aspects. You have uh, certainly Genius and Sport Raider are kind of the two duopoly that, that really have big deals with the NBA, NFL. I, I think it's important to kind of po point out there are really two big companies in this space. But uh, number one is, is kind of the data, you know, focus just on play by play, you know, whether, um, you know, people moving, uh, scoring baskets, all that in real time. You know, that, that is a huge thing for sports books. That is what they, they are licensing as well. So uh, when you're talking about live in-game betting, uh, a lot of that data that you know, goes into those odds and goes into those, um, you know, wh whether it uh, ends up cashing out or not uh, is coming from some of these, these data clearing houses. And so um, there's that. And then there's kind of the, the data integrity unit, as we've kind of uh, seen quite, quite, quite pro prolifically uh, from the NFL with the Calvin Ridley case in particular, how they see a bet, they, they understand that, Hey, this is a little bit suspicious. And then they can flag it and do some more investigations. And I think that's kind of the, the, the two arms as you will. Now, a lot of these, these units have, um, you know, they're, they're, wide-ranging businesses and they have um, some pretty powerful players that they're connected to but um, you know genius and sport radar are kind of the two biggest ones the NCAA has an overall deal with with I believe genius sports as well so yep. um, this is the first conference one that we've seen and um, probably not the last I, I think I'm 100% certain that this will not be the last but it was big for the Mac to kind of be the one to kind of kind of step out on a ledge a little bit and, and go first here uh, as I understand it it's also a big deal because when the NFL does this or when the NBA does this, there's this question of who actually owns that data because it's all—it's not just the league. The players are helping to create that data. They are participating. They're the ones actually running and jumping and doing stuff. So the value generated from that data through sales is split through the players' association. The union shares, uh, you know, IP rights, as I understand it, through these things. But we don't have that collective bargaining agent in college sports right now. So I've seen some lawyers say, "Can the Mac even sell this data?" Is it theirs? Do they have to give a cut to the players or, or what, what has that happened? So uh, I actually sat down earlier this week and chatted with both a vice president at Genius and the commissioner of the MAC to get a little bit more information about 
what this data actually is, right? Because I've like I've covered Mac games. I've sat down there. I could bloop bloop bloop. Here's stat broadcast, and you know that seems pretty play by play to me. I'm not a big gambling guy, so I, I didn't even know what else they were talking about. Wanted to know what what that's actually being used for, who actually owns it, and everything. And, and we we can share some of that conversation here um, because why should you listen to me recap it when you when you can hear the the actual uh, original players tell you themselves. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Collegiate Sports Connect. This is Matt Brown of Extra Points and the D1 Ticker. I'm excited here to spend some time here this afternoon to uh, with Dr. John Steinbrecher, the commissioner of the Mid-American Conference, and Oliver Wells uh, of uh, Genius Sports to talk about a new, unique partnership uh, between both entities. Gentlemen, thank you so much here for taking some time away from a very busy afternoon to chat with me here for a little bit. It's good to be with you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Um, John, let me start by asking... What might be a stupid question for somebody that's a little bit less familiar with this world? I, I saw the press release. I saw the write-ups in Sports Business Journal and Sportico everywhere saying that the Mac and and Genius have, have, have engaged in this new partnership to be able to sell data, uh, sell statistical data to, to participate and, and help with with data integrity. I'm wondering if maybe either of you could be a little bit more specific about what that means, because I've, I've covered Mac sporting events. I've pulled up live broadcasts. It seems like a lot of the statistics are right there. What else What else is, it, is involved here besides what someone could just pull up from a box score? Well, maybe let me start back at the beginning of how we even got to this point. And Please it started do. well over a year ago when I went to my presidents and engaged in a conversation about would they be comfortable with the conference uh, having uh, sponsorship relationships with uh, wagering entities, casino properties, for instance. Sure. We had several schools that had such deals. We've seen other institutions around the country as the year has gone on enter into those and wanted to take the temperature and find out if we were willing to do that. And that was a, that was not a one meeting conversation. That was a, <laughs> sure. a long way. You know, there's a lot of things involved in that. And, and but we sit in. Uh, you know, we're in a period of time where now the, the landscape around wagering and sports wagering has changed in this country. It's now, uh, you know, it's a state by state thing. We're not, we're not too far off from probably virtually every state will have it. I'm the one FBS conference that every state in my footprint has now legalized it. Uh, it's still being phased in in places, but here we are. Um, and so we got comfortable with that. Then as we moved into the phase of, OK, let's let's start uh, soliciting sponsorships and seeing where we go, we end up having conversation with Genius Sports. And we actually tied into really a sponsorship with them first. And they're not, they're not, you would not, they're not a casino entity. They're not a sports wagering entity, but clearly they, they conduct business that uh, assists uh, these companies in doing what they do. And so as we dug into this, we started thinking about, you know, sponsorship's nice, but we have an asset here that's untapped, that the professional leagues are now utilizing, the, the leagues in Europe have been utilizing for some time, and that is our data. And when we talk about data, we're, we're essentially talking game stats. I'm not talking personal information. I'm not talking biometric information. I'm okay. talking game mm -hmm. stats. And what they're doing now is people are gathering these, the, these stats through essentially third parties. They're hard, hiring someone to come into our games and transmit that data back to them while it's occurring. They're watching our broadcasts and pulling it down. And so they're essentially unofficial stats 
and they are uh, not as timely as they would be if they will work with us now. So right. we'll, people who would partner with us through uh, Genius Sports would have the opportunity to gain access uh, to uh, the official statistics. And so there's an accuracy level there um, yeah. and a timeliness because it's essentially instantaneous. And for us, what what I'm, I'm not here necessarily, I'm not saying uh, wager on sports, don't wager on sports. That's that's going on regardless of what I do. That information's in the public domain. But I want to take that asset. I want to take back control of that asset and leverage it for the betterment of our student athletes and our institutions, because I think that's a revenue source we can bring to bear. So going back on that, then just to just to be specific. So, you know, if you are at a, a Toledo basketball game or you're at one of your member institutions, we can pull up a box score and there's some basic information. I assume that through this partnership, then um, a, a third party that worked with Genius uh, would then have access to information that you couldn't get in a box score. Is that uh, whether that's play charting or efficiency from certain areas on the court or, or something that's much more analytic? Is, is that the correct understanding here? Yeah, man, I think you know, kind of taking a step back, this is, you know, just an, an overall way we partner with the leagues. You know, we want to be a true partner to conferences, uh, to sports entities, you know, very similar to the way we're, you know, part with the NFL today uh, and a lot of other major professional leagues around the world. You know, and really it's just setting the foundation for the MAC uh, to be prepared for to, to the soon to be new feature, you know, future uh, in collegiate sports. Um, you know, currently what that could mean is um, doing dynamic, creative, um, advertisement. So, uh, you know, as we're going out and you have, you know, our widgets on websites, uh, and it could be for any of their current their current partners and brands they work with, we can do dynamic creative that says, hey, this is the current score. Hey, this is just a huge shot that happened. And it can activate and trigger different activations for their sponsors. So we really look at this comprehensively across all of their brands and partners and how we can help their rights holder, JMI, and, and the Mac, you know, um, activate what they're currently doing with their partners. And, and the type of data is, yeah, it's, it is your direct play-by-play, -play, but it's about being fast, accurate, and official, right, from the league itself and, and being the partner. Um, it is no more than that. You know, this is nothing about, um, you know, player injury reports. This isn't anything about, you know, biometrics. This is pure, like you're saying, the play-by-play -play coming out of the venue. Yeah. So you, you did touch on something else that I think is interesting that I wanted to follow up with about how there's potential synergies with this data with JMI, with potential other sponsor partners. And, you know, from both reading the release and seeing what the immediate reaction was, I think, within the general public, the, the, it was, the immediate thought is just how does this, how does this inter, intersect with gaming? Are there other ways beyond existing sponsorship arrangements where this kind of data can be utilized either for uh, fan interactivity or through a different an entity that has nothing to do with gambling, but now has access to this yeah. data? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. This is uh, a couple things there. You know, one, you know, we do have a uh, part of the partnership is uh, free to play, you know, assets to engage fans. So that's helping get first per person audience data, you know, back to the Mac and into JMI. You know, that's could be around challenges or brackets, really just in, interacting with the fans um, in a new way. You know, in the, in the second piece, it probably wasn't I didn't see it get as much traction. The media side was um, bringing second spectrum to bear. So our second spectrum technology um, is an optical tracking solution that digitizes the game. It's used throughout the NBA, English Premier League um, and a lot of other professional leagues. And we're bringing that to the Mac for their championships. Uh, and what that's going to be able to allow their broadcasters to have new uh, enhanced uh, augmentation of the feeds. You could do a, you know, a coach's broadcast, an analytics broadcast 
Um, you'll see some of these things coming up in March Madness. There's kind of a release today from Turner uh, that kind of talks about what we're doing there with March Madness. We're going to bring that to the MAC championships as well. Okay, that I mean that that is interesting. That's something anybody that participates in, in these broadcasts would 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 find value with. Maybe this is a dumb question, but is uh, is there any value activation here for coaches or, or, or teams specifically under the MAC footprint? Is, is are they getting access to data they didn't have before, or is this a partnership that can provide revenue or resources for them? Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily. Uh, new uh, information or data for the institutions. It's taking that existing data and and leveraging it. Uh, but yeah, it is also, as you spoke to, uh, the idea behind this is let's let's take something that we're in essence giving away for free, and yeah. let's generate re- revenue value from it back, so we can better support our student athletes and our institutions. Um, one one. One, I think one, the only criticism I think that I, I've read or, or potential criticism from this is I have seen uh, a couple of uh, sports attorneys say, well, when you do these kind of deals with the with the with the pros, you know, that the ownership of that data is, is not just through the league itself, but it's also through the, the players collective bargaining agent. And the, the revenue from that is is distributed here. We don't have that kind of agent in college athletics. Is is there any concern that this isn't entirely the max data to sell or does, does this belong to any other potential entity? Well, until we're told otherwise, it's our data to sell. Right. Um, I, I would as in many things, a lot of stuff is evolving right now. Yes. Uh, and so we're looking at this much in the way as we would our TV rights, our radio rights, our sponsorship rights, et cetera. And we'll treat it as such. Uh, we feel comfortable in our position right now. Um, and uh, we'll we'll move forward. Okay. What's been the feedback so I mean, immediately from within the industry? Have you heard from any other conference or or school peers that has you know have said, well, "Wow, maybe maybe this is something we should be doing"? We hadn't even thought of that before, or has it been different? Yeah, I've certainly uh, heard from uh, a number of my colleagues who are who are uh, congratulated us on this and have started to ask some questions. And I and I'm aware of other colleagues that have certainly been exploring this. Um, uh, for some time. And so I, I think, again, I think this is an area and field that will continue to evolve. And then the other part I would emphasize with this is for us, it's one, let's take back control of an asset. Yeah. Two, let's make sure we're doing everything we can to ensure the transparency of our games, the accuracy of our games, and the integrity of our games. And so it's important that we're working with integrity services that will be providing incredible oversight of all of our events and monitoring those and, and assisting us. And, uh, you know, I, we don't expect to have any issues, but if something would occur, we'll know about it. I have no doubt about that. And then also building on what is already a solid educational program, but making it an even more robust educational program for our student athletes, coaches, administrators, and officials as, as we move forward. Maybe this is a, a dumb question for somebody who is not as immersed in this particular world, but if you are a, a sports entity, a, a league, a, a pro league or anybody else, and then you are now you know, over the board formally working with a sports data company, somebody that's, that's, that's working to, perform, to do uh, integrity related services, does this help either body potentially catch point shaving or determine irregularities that might happen over the course of the game? Or is, is, this, is it more to help 
the third party entity figure out how what, what a line should look like? What what is there a relationship here? Yeah, our integrity service is something we provide, you know, again, to the NFL and to uh, leagues around the world. And it's something we've done for many years. And it, it's all about one education. So education to uh, to players and to the schools and um, into the conference and, and providing counsel there, uh, but also monitoring the matches. So if, if we're seeing big movement on the lines or uh, things that really don't line up with what should be happening, you know, we do an alert and we just make sure that um, we're, we're keeping our partners uh, aware of what's going on. You know, we've we've been working with an integrity partner for some period of time now. Now we'll also work with Genius Sports. I, I feel very confident in the kind of uh, oversight and review that will be occurring in and around our athletic competitions. I think that's to the betterment of, uh, of, of what we're trying to do. We want to make sure our competitions are are as as on the, on the up and up, are transparent, are forthright. Uh, We've had we've had confidence in that. I can, we will have confidence in that moving forward. Okay. So, the, John, I think my, my last my last big question here, and one of the other reasons that this deal caught my eye was it was really interesting to me is I know conference officials and, and administrators and, and college athletics are constantly looking for ways to find a few more quarters and dimes under the couch cushions, particularly if you don't have a fifty million dollar television deal to provide the resources for their athletes and schools to be successful. And you mentioned a couple of times in this conversation, hey, this is a chance for us to take ownership of an asset that maybe was being let go for free or was underutilized or undervalued and, and turn it into something that, uh, that provides value. In your view, as somebody who's been in this industry for a while, are, are, do you think there's other potential assets or tools that the Mac or anybody else may uh, not be properly valuing or utilizing now in, in 2022? There might be, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> they pay me to ask. They pay me to ask. Sure. No. That's a fair question. But that's yeah. what I think all of us are doing, are, are trying to figure out, um, you know, we're all, we're all charged with, you know, look at what's in front of us and how can we leverage the most value in appropriate ways from what we have. And, uh, you know, that's part and parcel of what we do. All right. Well, well, gentlemen, th thank you both very much. I know you have a, a tournament to catch here. Uh, I appreciate your time and helping to uh, help our audience better understand this. And we look forward to hearing more from both of you uh, in, the, in, in the coming weeks. Thank you very much. Been good to Thanks, be with Matt. you, Matt. Thank you. Um, before we dig into uh, the, the last couple of things we wanted to talk about here, I did want to uh, very quickly tell you about our other sponsor for this particular episode. It comes from a real friend of the program, a friend of the whole greater Extra Point Cinematic Universe, our friend Andy Schwartz, who you might know from Twitter. You might know him as an economist that's been involved with the O'Bannon case, with the Alston case, with uh, helping the entire our entire country uh, very politely cyberbully UAB into bringing back their football team and, and anybody else that that tends to make short-sighted decisions about dropping programs. So and Andy knows the economics of college athletics better than almost anybody. He's also a gigantic board game nerd, and that's not me making. This isn't a show that's going to make fun of anybody being a nerd. God, I mean. I am. Um, and Andy has created this new cool board game called Envelopes of Cash, which is like it combines this merger of all the stuff that he knows here about uh, how athletes actually pick schools and how the recruiting market really works and how that fits in here with a Euro style uh, resource trading board game like Settlers, 
uh, or, or, or others kind of in, in that vein. So settler, this is like a, you take all of that. It's like a rival's message board meets monopoly meets settlers meets, you know, trading for bricks and grain and everything you play as a coach. Your job is to sign the best recruiting class possible. You can use them above the board resources, your, your booster bucks, you drive your bus all over the country. You're, you're, you're evaluating players. Uh, and then you also have uh, envelopes of cash, maybe money that's not so above the table, not such a, not a formalized NIL deal uh, to help, uh, help bring that aboard. It's fun. I've played this a couple of times. I think after the NCAA tournaments, when, and maybe after Brian and I take like a little a mini vacation, um, we're going to set up a league. So you can, if you are an extra point subscriber, you can play this game online with other extra point dorks and uh, lock down Hawaii recruiting and sign the five-star class that you've always wanted to do. Uh, and you can grab your own copy of the game now. And if you are a uh, Kickstarter booster, you can actually get your picture in the game. You look at the cards in the game, you look at some of the booster power-ups, you're going to see some familiar faces. Uh, not me, but many of the other college football uh, folks that you might know and love. You can grab envelopes of cash by going to bit.ly slash EOC Dash EP. This is also going to be in the show show notes. Uh, Bit.ly. That's the the URL shortener we all know all know and love. Slash EOC dash EP. That's envelopes of cash dash dash extra points to grab your copy of envelopes of cash today. Um, I learned a lot in that conversation uh, with John. Uh, not just because I don't. I, I, I know intellectually gambling. I know enough to, like, to write about the sport, but I, I don't really know a ton about what kind of data goes into setting lines. And, and you know, I, I don't have Bud Elliott anymore to kind of like bug and explain all this stuff to me every time. Um, but, but also, I don't think I totally understood how this can be used for stuff that has nothing to do with gambling. And if you are a school like Toledo or Kent State or Northern Illinois, you've got to find every possible way you can get an extra 10 or 15 bucks. That goes a long way when, when you're that kind of school. And if that's what this deal, I assume it's going to be more than 10 or 15 bucks. But if you can do this in a way that doesn't ask more of your athletes, doesn't really ask more of your coaches, and then uh, eventually provides a, a better experience for not just your fans in the building, but maybe some of your other uh, sponsors, other people who are doing stuff with JMI, other people that have signage throughout your building, that does seem like a win-win-win. Like the, the, the age of being completely puritanical about sports betting. It seems like if that's the camp you fall into, it seems like you've lost. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if we're going to get back at that point, even if there's a pullback of of the sports gambling industry, right? Yeah, I think that that can of worms. There, there's no putting it back in the bottle. You know, I think, and, and you look at certainly the marketing spend that some of these companies are are doing to just acquire users. I mean, there's there's been big pushes in states like Texas, uh, certainly in California as well, to to get that turned on. And uh, yep. then then it's really going to, I think, even take off even more than, than it currently has. When you talk about this Mac deal, yeah, it might be an extra maybe ten to twenty grand, whatever it might be for that school. Uh, if you're talking about, uh, you know, additional two big population states like that coming online and into the sports gambling industry and what that could mean in terms of revenues for teams, especially like in the Big 12 or the Pac-12, um, you know, I think it's, it's definitely something to watch. Something I know that a lot of college athletics folks may be a bit uneasy about, but kind of understanding that, hey, this is a thing that where we don't have to do all that much and we get a nice big check at the end. And I think where it does get tricky is is kind of that that data. You know, I mean, you know, Sport Radar, one of the other companies, they own Synergy Sports, which you know, ca capture some of the movement of the players themselves during practices, during games. Um, I've used that before, yeah. yeah now, now you're talking about even more detailed stuff. I mean, you, you look at like the NFL combine, which was just around the corner. 
schools, a lot of times you will share their catapult data or whatever their GPS data on their, their football players. Um, you know, that they, they will share that with, you know, NFL scouts and whatnot. If you're a student, yeah. Maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable about that. We're kind of in a, in a, in a slower spot here, but uh, it, it's going to be interesting to track because the story is not going away. And I think we're going to see a lot more leagues kind of jump on this bandwagon. That is a huge point. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, in case you missed it during that interview, Genius was like, was very clear, hey, this does not include biometric data, but that is a thing that other brands and some schools have access to. I want to say this was an issue with Whoop uh, that a, a couple of football programs are using. And I don't know if there's going to be a college football or college sports union. I don't know when that process will, you know, what, you know, what, what that looks like, but it does seem like if that data ever gets shared by any third party, either the athletes should get a cut of it or should have the ability to opt out. Um, which does not appear to be the case right now. That to me seems pretty unfair, even if it's, at the individual level, not extremely useful. It's one of those things that's useful in the aggregate, kind of like your own browsing data. Like your data itself is worth not very much, but you and your whole neighborhood and your whole crew's browsing data is worth like a bajillion dollars. That's 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 something that, that needs to be looked into here. Um, we are running low on time for this week. We got a big week next. We got a big week coming up next week. We got some cool interviews coming up here on Collegiate Sports Connect. We've got some cool stories coming up here on Extra Points and some other stuff that I think we're going to hit really hard after the tournament actually starts. Um, we, we kind of teased it a little bit last episode, but like what actually happens when you make the tournament and do well or, or don't do well? Because this is this is the, the the big deal, both for men's and women's basketball, I think for most of Division One, We want to really get into the weeds with that. But we have some other things coming up that I'm really excited about. And you can get all of those by signing up for a free account on Collegiate Sports Connect. And by subscribing to Extra Points, which is free if you want two newsletters a week, uh, it's eight bucks a month or, or four bucks a month if you're a college student that supports everything that we do. And then, hey, if you want to reach all of our listeners to talk about your product um, or all of my readers on Extra Points, drop me a note at sales at extrapointsmb.com. We have some sales inventory open for April, and we would love to shill for whatever it is that you make with the enthusiasm that I show for home field. Well, probably won't be quite as enthusiastic because I really like home field apparel. Probably I really like your thing too, but like, I don't want to promise that unless I actually see it. Right. Um, probably I will like it as much as I like home field. Um, this was fun. Brian, you got anything else here before we let these good people go? No, just uh, follow along on D1 ticker and uh, sign up for a Collegiate Sports Connect account because there's a lot of conversations like that one uh, you had with John and uh, a lot more coming uh, next week as we get into the thick of kind of college athletics uh, season here in, in the spring. That's right. That's right. We got some cool. Th- so is we, we got some cool stuff. Go enjoy some basketball. Go enjoy some women's basketball, too. We're going to talk about that more yeah. a little bit next week. Subscribe to all our stuff. Give us money or give our brand partners money who will then in turn give us money so we can make cool, more cool stuff for you. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll catch you up with y'all next week.